In your Bibles today, we are looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. You know, uh, my experience with uh, my wife, Lynn, we've been married, I think, 28 years. I think that's right, 28 years. Um, and, uh, and in our relationship, you know, if you know my wife, Lynn, she is, she is the sweetest Southern woman you have ever met in your life. She is, she is so kind to anyone. Um, and, and part of her kindness is always kind of uh, wanting to sense the people around her, how, how they feel and, and kind of defer to them. Um, maybe one of my strengths, I would say it's a strength, and I'm not sure Lynn always thinks so, is that I, I feel like I have a pretty decent confidence. In fact, as, as some of you probably said about yourselves, I certainly say about myself, that uh, I may be wrong sometimes, but I'm never in doubt, ever. And uh, one time we were having a discussion, Lynn and I were, and it wasn't even a fight, it was just a discussion, and we were talking about stuff, and, and she was explaining something that I really didn't know much about. I, I really, I mean, I don't even know why I was weighing in on the conversation other than I like to weigh in on every conversation. So Lynn's talking about something, and, uh, and usually... When people are saying stuff and I'm trying to understand it, I'll say, well, oh, are you sure about that? Did that? Are you sure that that's what happened? And, and a lot of times, Lynn, because it's her personality, will just cave. I mean, she says, every time you ask me that, I just feel like, well, maybe I'm not sure. Maybe I don't know, you know. And so we're in this conversation and I just sit at the, at the kitchen table. And she's telling me this stuff. Again, I, I know very little about the topic with which she's speaking. And uh, she pauses and I say to her, well, honey, are you sure about that? And uh, I see her face kind of go down like, maybe, she, maybe I'm not. And then, <laughs> I'll never forget this. She kind of dropped her head like we were going to be done discussing it. And then she looked back up and she looked right at me and said, I'm as sure as you are. <laughs> and I thought, touche. I said to her, I said, well done. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I, I don't know about this. I don't know about this at all. We're looking at a passage this morning that, that really nails down this issue, issue of assurance. And uh, as we've been studying the, the book of John, book of 1 John, you know, as Barton said last week, as Sandy was saying before, the, the, the point of this book is to talk to these believers about what real assurance is. They had, they had false teachers giving false assurances about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And John wanted to write the real story, the real teaching, the real assurance. And he says that kind of the, the key verse in the whole book, the reason for the book, chapter 5, verse 13, says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And so he's been addressing those things. And now in these verses, he's going to talk specifically about the times that you have doubts in regards to your faith. Let's read verses 19 through 24. John writes this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever your heart condemns, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, 
that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. This, brothers, is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. You know, as uh, John writes about assurance, he makes the point twice, both in the first verse, 19, verse 24, he says, by this we know, by this we know. And it does remind me, a friend of mine in college, um, and I think I've shared this story here before, a friend of mine in college came to know Christ, actually, when he was 16 years old. But his father was a pastor, and he was really nervous that his father was going to be a little embarrassed that he had come to know Christ at 16 because he was pretty sure his dad thought he had been a Christian since he was 12 or 13 or maybe even 5 or 7 years old. So at 16, he was, just, he was nervous about telling his dad, I, I've become a Christian. He waited almost an entire year uh, until he sat down and said to his dad, hey, I wanted you to know, dad, that, uh, um, and he went in there, he said, I, you know, I thought this would be a good moment. I said, you know, Dad, I want you to know that I, that I came to know Christ last year at this time. And he kind of told the story. And he thought his father either is, you know, if, if he's not embarrassed, at least he'll be happy or he'll be embarrassed then happy or whatever. And he said his dad looked at him after he was done talking. And he said, thank you for letting me know. Um, but I guess we'll see if you're actually a Christian. <laughs> and he said, he kind of walked out of the room going, huh. That's not, the, uh, that's not the answer I expected. Um, but that's one of the points John's making here in, in the book of 1 John is we'll see. We'll see if you actually uh, are a Christian. And I know a lot of us want assurance. Um, Robert said, isn't it great that we know, that we know, that we know? And I would say it is. But sometimes we don't feel that. <laughs> sometimes we don't feel that we know that we know. And we want some outside somebody to confirm that. You know, people will, you know, could ask you maybe, is your, is your wife a Christian? Todd, is your, is your wife a Christian? Um, or let me put it this way. You don't, you don't know my wife. Well, let's talk about Sandy Wilson. Is Sandy or Barton? Or is Sandy a Christian? Is Barton a Christian? And a lot of us in here would say, yeah, he for sure is. And I would tell you, actually, you and I can't say that. <laughs> you and I cannot say... We can't say that we know for sure that Sandy Wilson is a Christian. Now, Sandy can say it, and the Lord can say it, and God's Word can say it. We can say this. We have a lot of reason to believe that Sandy Wilson's a Christian. We have a lot of reason. So how can we be sure? And what do we do when, 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 uh, when we doubt? Because we're going to see in these verses, we doubt, all of us. Some of us in here have a natural, uh, uh, your personality is not one of, of, of doubt, of self-doubt generally. It's just the way God created you. But I would, I would say that there's probably still times that you really struggle uh, with doubt. Others of you in here, you have a, you have a highly sensitive conscience. And uh, you might have walked with the Lord faithfully since you were five years old. And you might say, you know what, Todd, I struggle with doubt almost every day about whether I know that I know that I know. And so, John wants to address that as we look at these verses this morning. First of all, 
in verses 19 through 20a, uh, John is saying we need to be wary of a condemning heart. We need to be wary of a condemning heart. And he begins by, when he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. And he wants to point out that, letter A, the truth is infallible. The truth is infallible. This seems like he's, he's, he's taking a detour from what he's been talking about up until this point. He's been talking about love of the brothers. But it's actually connected to verse 18, because in verse 18 there, he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And now he he adds in verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. So he's connecting those two things. We should walk in deed and truth, but what if I feel like I'm not doing that? What if that's not happening? What if I'm not, what if I'm not sure if I'm in deed and in truth? And so now he picks up and he first of all says, the truth is infallible. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. Not a truth, the truth. And of course the truth has been under attack since the Garden of Eden. And what is, the, what is the first thing the evil one, the serpent, said to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? That was, the, that was the question for Eve. And that's been the question ever since. The question that comes to us. Did God really say? So truth was under attack in the Garden. Truth was under attack here in the first century at the time of this writing. Truth is under attack even for us right now. And we see this, we see just generally, just the idea of truth, so it's not even biblical truth, just the idea of truth is under attack. And we, we can point to all kinds of examples, but thankfully, we get to point to a, an example right now that all makes us laugh, the whole comment about alternative facts, right? President's uh, assistant says, senior advisor t- said, well, actually, we're dealing here with alternative facts. Which everybody laughs and goes, that's ridiculous. I mean, there's real truth, right? Webster, Webster's uh, dictionary, Webster.com replied to this, wanted to make a statement about, against what had been said in alternative facts. And they didn't even get it right. Because this was their response. They said this, actually a fact is a piece of information presented as having objective reality. <laughs> and I heard that and I thought, oh wow, you didn't even get the truth right in that one. A piece of information presented as having objective reality. Sounds to me like you just defined alternative facts again. So even as they try to battle against what seems like, oh, you're, 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 you're confusing the truth, Webster's Dictionary confuses the truth. In our whole culture, the truth is confused. Let me tell you, brothers, the Word of God is truth, is the truth. You can rely on it. You can trust in it. It's not, it's not something that, uh, that wavers. That's the beauty of what you guys do here every morning. Every morning. I wish we did every morning. Every Thursday morning. To be here every Thursday morning and walk through God's word verse by verse is a statement that your lives are going to be conformed to the truth because it's, it's this word, this truth, that is infallible. But then John goes on and says, Letter B, but our hearts are not. <laughs> our hearts are not infallible. He says, uh, and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemns us, let's start with that first phrase. Reassure our heart before him. Actually, it's literally 
in the Greek, set our hearts in His presence. He said you need to set your heart in the presence of God. The idea here is, to get, is getting control of your heart. Getting control of your heart. One of my favorite uh, preachers, writers, um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, uh, who ministered in uh, Great Britain, he wrote a book on spiritual depression. And one of the, the famous uh, sections of that, quotes of that, has to do with, uh, with self-talk. He said many times the issue of our, of our depression, the issue of our doubts, is that we're listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. <laughs> and he said you've got to stop listening to your, to your false uh, self and you need to start speaking. Get a hold of yourself and start speaking to yourself. And he references Psalm 42, verse 5. When the psalmist does that, he says, the psalmist says, Why so downcast, O my soul? And why so much turmoil within you? And then the psalmist says, Put your hope in God. So the psalmist stops listening to his soul and starts speaking to his soul. Grabs a hold of it. And that's the idea here. That when we face doubts, we need to recognize the truth is infallible. So there is biblical truth. And then our hearts are not infallible. And so we've got to set our hearts in the presence of God. We've got to get a hold of them and speak to them. And he says, why do we got to do that? Why does it happen? Because in verse 20, whenever our heart condemns us, notice, it doesn't say if your heart condemns you. It says when your heart condemns you. And that's why I would say, even if, you, even if you're a guy in here who, who really doesn't struggle with, uh, with doubt, self-doubt that much, there are times that your heart condemns you. There are times when, when, uh, when you felt really far away from the Lord and you've wondered, is this, is this true? Am I, am, I, am I a true believer? Other times we've, we've, we've been struggling with the sin and, and here we are decades later and we're looking and going, why do I struggle with the exact same sin? I've been working on this for decades. Why am I, why am I still limping with this same sin? And then, and then our hearts say, well, you know, you, maybe you're not really a believer. Maybe you're not really walking with the Lord. Or maybe you're going, maybe it's a, maybe it's a sin you never thought you'd commit. I think some of us who are older in this room, we remember, you know, maybe we remember, when we're 30, <laughs> 30 years old, and we knew some sins, certain things, we thought, well, you know what, I'll never do that. I'll, I know some sins I commit, but I'll never commit that sin. I'll never struggle with that. And then as we've gotten older, we, we've, we've, we've had those moments where we're like, wow, here I am. I remember uh, a while back, it was almost 15 years ago now, happened to be at a conference and I got the privilege of sitting next to J.I. Packer, uh, who was an old man at that point. And uh, I remember one of the most disheartening things he said at the table. Somebody asked him about uh, just his faith and as he got older and he said, you know, I find temptation greater now than I ever have in my whole life. And I was sitting there as a 45, I mean a 35-year-old going, oh no. <laughs> 
Oh, no. In those moments, our, our, our hearts condemn us. Our, our feelings say, I don't know. I don't know, Todd. I don't know. And what John is saying, hey, be wary of a condemning heart. The truth is infallible. Your heart is not. And then he goes on to address this in verses 20b through 22. Point number two, be confident in a greater God. Be wary of a condemning heart, but be confident in a greater God. And he's going to point out some reasons for this. First of all, letter A, the, the Lord is the judge. The Lord is the judge. He really describes a trial here. Notice that? You've got, uh, you've got uh, the accused, which is you. You've got the prosecutor, which is your heart. And you've got a judge, which is God. So God, the Lord, is the judge. And He is greater than the prosecutor. He is the one who gets to make the decisions. It's not your heart that gets to make the decisions. So that's why he's saying earlier, set your heart in the presence of God, in the presence of the judge. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, where you get another picture of this, uh, of this courtroom scene. Romans chapter 8, uh, there at the end, beginning at verse 31. Listen to what it says as it talks about this courtroom scene where there is an accused, an accused and there is a prosecutor and then there is the judge. Paul writes this, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Here it even describes who is our defense lawyer. Our defense lawyer is Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord Jesus Christ at that trial is saying to the judge, <laughs> my righteousness is on that man. My righteousness is on that man. And what John wants us to get is that picture in our heads so that we can set our, our wandering, our condemning hearts correctly. So that we don't think that the room is just a condemning heart and us the accused. But let's be aware, no, no, no. Condemning heart, us the accused, God the judge, and as Paul writes in Romans, Christ, your defense lawyer. And that's the scene that's taking place. The Lord is judged. God is greater than our hearts. And then he goes on in verse uh, 21 when he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So wait a second. Before he says, when your heart condemns you, and then he says, but if our heart does not condemn us, what he's talking about is now you set your heart right. Now you set your heart on truth. And you understand, letter B, that it's the Lord who justifies. It's the Lord who's judge, and it's the Lord who justifies. Go back to Romans, and let's read about that justification. Again, let's speak truth to our hearts. Romans chapter 3, verses 21. Familiar verses, but think about this in the context of this trial of your condemning heart. 
says this. Verse 21, chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. And then it goes on to say, okay, how can that happen? You have a condemning heart. You're a sinner. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So He is just. He is the judge. He demands that there be a payment. And He is justifier. He's paid the price. He's taken the wrath. And so the truth is, John writes, the truth is that it's the Lord who justifies. So Our hearts now are reassured. They're set in the right place before God. We understand the truth in that context. And when we understand the truth, we now have confidence before God. And so our confidence is not in our hearts. Our confidence is in the Lord who is greater than our hearts. Confidence is in God who is the judge and the justifier. That's where our confidence lies. And then he goes on in verse 22 and he says, But whatever we ask and we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So let her see the Lord answers our prayers. Now, if you're like me and you're reading along about assurance, and then all of a sudden you hit this moment about prayer, you're like, what? (laughs) We were in a trial a second ago, and now we're talking about prayer Why are we talking about prayer? Well, it goes back to that phrase, have confidence before God. We have confidence before God. And the confidence before God is to be able to walk into His presence and speak to Him. Remember, brothers, this faith that has come to us through the revealed Word of God is not a religion. We don't appear before God, you know, once a year or once a decade to be... uh, to pay homage to Him and, 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 and pay our price and make sure we're not you know, out of line with God. That's not the picture of Christianity. The picture of Christianity is an intimacy with a God whom we call Father. And so this relationship would, would necessitate a conversation, would necessitate daily interaction with our Heavenly Father. But if our hearts are condemning us and if we have doubts then we're liable to not talk to our, to our Heavenly Father. We're going to avoid Him. I mean, we all remember that, right? With our dads growing up. I mean, there are plenty of times when, uh, for example, I, I'd be, you know, coming home past curfew. Curfew's at 11. And I'm just hoping I can sneak into the house before Dad knows that I'm there. <laughs> I don't want to see Him. I would like to avoid Him. And uh, I would drive home, and unfortunately, there was a, te- there was a tell to know if, if my dad was aware that, the, that I had missed the curfew. If he was not aware, the, light, the outside lights were on, and the, uh, 
and the, the living room light, we walked in the living room, the living room light was off. It meant Dad had, uh, had gone to sleep, right? And if that living room light was on, whew, I knew. <laughs> I knew there was no avoiding. But see, that's what happens when you, have, when you listen to your condemning heart, when you listen to your doubts. What do you, you stop talking to your Father. You start avoiding Him, your Heavenly Father. And so that's why John here brings up the issue of prayer, that we would have confidence before God. And I mentioned that Hebrews passage here in your notes. Turn over in your Bibles just a few pages back to Hebrews chapter 4. Again, a familiar passage for many of us, talking about our confidence before God and mentioning our, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this, verse 14 of Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that describes our defense lawyer, our, our righteousness. So then therefore, in verse 16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let us with confidence draw close to our Heavenly Father. And that's what John was pointing out here. The confidence before God is the confidence to be in conversation with your Heavenly Father. And you can only do that if you set your heart right, your, your condemning heart, and you, you latch on to the truth about what God has done for you. And the importance of prayer is, is, is just magnified here, that we have this conversation. And then it goes on and talks about there's uh, commandments. And it says, well, you know, it says about prayer, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. And of course, we're all like, wait, 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 wait. Whatever I ask, I receive from him. And we're thinking, no, that's, that doesn't happen to me. You know? If I ask for a BMW... I'm probably not getting one. <laughs> if, I, uh, if I ask, you know, I, I, I ask like crazy, Lord, you know, please uh, heal this relative or, or my mom or whatever from, from cancer. And you know what the, the Lord didn't do? What, is, what does John mean here, ask and, and we receive? Well, it's not this name it and claim it idea. He talks about the commandments of God. And so what he's saying now is, listen, when you and I are in step, when we understand the truth of who God is, and our confidence is in that, we then are walking in His commandments, and when we're doing that, we're going to be in sync with our Heavenly Father. And those two things go together. So our conversation in prayer and our, and our, is going to lead us to obedience in His commandments. Obedience in His commandments is going to lead us to conversations in prayer, those things going together, we're going to be in sync with our Heavenly Father, and as we're in sync with our Heavenly Father, our requests are going to line up with His will. And that's a beautiful thing. That's how, that's how, we, that's how we grow in our understanding of prayer. And when your requests line up with the will of your Heavenly Father, first of all, they say they move well beyond, well beyond what kind of car you want. Even well beyond Sickness and illness. Because God has for us even greater things than that. Not that He doesn't answer those prayers. Well, He always answers the prayers. Not that He doesn't sometimes heal. And He doesn't sometimes bless. 
with material things. But he has, he has grander things in mind for us, for our city, for our nation, for our world, for you, for me. Much grander things. And as we're in that conversation with confidence before God, we begin to grasp and understand those things. Well, now he switched to commandments. And let's go on. Uh, Roman numeral 3 there. In verse 23, he says, Be obedient to the one commandment. Be obedient to the one commandment. And you go, wait a second. He said before commandments, and now he's saying commandment. There's no S at the end of that in verse 23. And then he goes on to say what this commandment is. And of course, this has been talked about before. Jesus said this. He said, you know, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he basically said this. And John obviously was there when Jesus said, you got to, well, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And now, after the cross, John even understands that more, and he says, you got to believe in the name of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ, and, uh, and you got to love one another. And that is the commandment. That is what we're supposed to be doing. And so, as we have confidence in a greater God, we act in obedience to this commandment. And our obedience uh, doesn't earn us the confidence. It confirms the confidence. It's so important. In fact, um, I think it's on those, uh, on those pages. Uh, let me grab it right here. Your, your discussion questions. Great quote from John Stott. Let me just read it to, for you. It's on here. You can take it with you. John Stott says this. Obedience is the indispensable condition of answered prayer, not the meritorious cause of answered prayer. Think about that. Obedience is the indispensable condition of answered prayer, not the meritorious cause of answered prayer. And a lot of times that can simply be because the Lord is not going to answer your prayer until He gets a hold of you. He wants you in the same way that if my daughter is wandering in, in, in her relationship with her family and her relationship with the Lord, and, but she's always asking me, hey, Dad, can you get me some money for this? Give me some money for this. It's not that I don't want to answer that question, but I have bigger things I want to talk to her about than that. And so I might say to her, hey, can we table that discussion, I want to talk to you about something else. And oftentimes, when we're out of sync with the God's commandments, that's what he was doing to us. He's saying, uh, hold on. Before you make that as a request, let's, let's talk about you. Let's deal with you and what's going on in your life. So it's not that our obedience earns our right to be heard. But it's, it's in that context. It also is as I said before, if we're not walking in that commandment, our requests are probably going to be a little bit out of whack. Our prayers are, not, are, are going to be very self-centered. We're not going to be in sync with the Lord on that one. And so those things go together. Be obedient to this one command. And then letter A, trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. So let's break down this commandment. Trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. I know some of you are thinking right now, yes, we know that, it's obvious. It, you know, that stuff was, is under attack today just as much as it was in John's day. 
In fact, two weeks ago, I had the most interesting conversation. Uh, this, this girl and um, young woman, actually, she's, she's in her, I think she's in her late 20s, maybe 27, 28. She said, uh, Todd, can I, can I talk to you? Um, this guy that I'm thinking about dating We'd like to meet with you. So I met with them on a Sunday afternoon. She said, Wait, I just, I'm concerned that maybe our beliefs are not lined up, and I don't want to start dating him if our beliefs aren't lined up. Can we talk? I said, sure. Am I talking with just you or both of you? She's like, both of us. Great. So we sit down, and, uh, and I said, what's, so what's the deal? And, and he said very confidently, he was about 27, 28 years old, he said, well, I'm, I, I would say I don't really believe in the Trinity. I don't, I don't think the Bible teaches the Trinity anywhere. And I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting conversation. <laughs> and, uh, and I said to him, I said, well, let's break that down a little bit. Let's start with Jesus. <laughs> do you believe that Jesus, I thought before we get to the Holy Spirit, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And he says, yes but I don't believe he's God. Okay. All right. Let's forget about the Trinity. Let's just talk about Jesus right now. <laughs> and he, he had, a, he had a, an, an interesting argument, one that I haven't heard in a really long time. His argument was, yeah, I believe that, that, uh, that Jesus was born of a virgin. He believes he was resurrected. He just doesn't believe he was actually God. He believes he was a special emissary from God, a, a special human that God used. And then he tried to explain the, uh, uh, the whole, you know, uh, justification at the cross through that. And again, it was, it was interesting. I mean, it, it, I, as I listened to him, I thought, well, that's great. We went to certain parts of the Bible, like Philippians 2 and some other places, and, and Jesus himself saying that he was God. And I said, you know, you can hold to that, but you're going to have to take these parts of the Bible and just get rid of them. Just going to have to throw them out. But my whole thought was, wow, here's a guy who's actually trying to interact with the Bible and, and has missed Jesus completely. And I was able to say this young woman through her tears, and, and the guy was there and he was, he was fine with this. I, I just said, that's not biblical Christianity. That, according to the Bible, that is not how you are saved. You cannot be saved without believing that Jesus is fully God and fully man. You have to believe that. Took him to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And, uh, and I could have taken him here. Just didn't, just didn't happen to do it. And she threw her tears. Let me say this, though, as a kind of aside. I talked to her a few days later, and she decided not to date him. And here she is. She's, she's about approaching 30. And I know why her tears were there. Because in some ways she's probably thinking this, is, this, is, this might be the last train to leave the station for me to get married. And I commended her that she chose the Lord Jesus Christ even over marriage. I tell you, that's a tough thing. And a lot of us in here are, are, are fathers of adult children. Let's make sure that we commend our children in that and we don't compromise when we talk to our daughters or our sons on that issue and just get so caught up in who they're marrying and that they're going to get married that we miss the danger and the disaster that can happen if our children marry an unbeliever. 
And, and let's hold strong to that. Let's, let's be fathers who take the lead in that. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if this young woman had a father taking the lead in that, but man, I love the fact that, that she, through tears, knowing that she was saying, I can't date this guy, which means I can't marry this guy, which means I don't know what that means for me for the next years of my life, but I choose Jesus. Whew, that spoke to me. She was believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. He is both Jesus, human, Savior, and he is Christ, Messiah, Lord. And so he is for us. We believe, a follower of Christ believes that Jesus is our salvation, is, has paid the wrath, and therefore he is in complete control of my entire life. I will do whatever he asks. The second part of the commandment there, that we love one another. And of course, you guys have been talking about that for forever right now. And you wonder, and you probably have talked about this as well uh, on these Thursday mornings, you know, where is, where is John getting all this? And, you know, of course, he's getting it from uh, that time he was in the upper room with Jesus, John chapter 15. Um, and we're going to, we're going to see several things in those verses. John 13 through 17 is known as the upper room discourse. And in John's gospel, he elaborates on what happened in the upper room. The things Jesus said, the prayers Jesus prayed. We get a, we get a bigger picture of what was going on. So what John is doing here is he's not just drumming up his own truth. He's not coming up with his own stuff. No, John is is understanding what Jesus has said to him. So in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, John remembers when Jesus said this. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so he's saying, listen, I know what it means to be a follower of Christ because I was there in the upper room when Jesus preached on this. And he's just repeating that. Be obedient to the one commandment. And then finally, number four, in verse 24, be assured by the presence of the indwelling spirit. Be assured by the presence of the indwelling spirit. First phrase of that, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Letter A, the evidence of the spirit's presence. There's the evidence of the spirit's presence. You know, we're not... Saved, we all know this, we're not saved by good works, but when we're saved, we do good works. We're not saved by good works, but when we're saved, we do good works. That's why my friend's dad said to him when he said, Father, I've come to know Christ, I'm a Christian now, and his dad said, well, we'll see. <laughs> and what he meant by that, nothing, nothing against him, was just the evidences will reveal that. It's not a matter of saying it, but it's being obedient to the command. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see the evidences in your life of those things. Back to John chapter 15. This is what John said right before he talked about that commandment of uh, loving one another. John chapter 15, verse 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's that relationship, that prayer. And then he goes on, verse 8, But this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So it's going to show in the fruit of your life. 
And then he says, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Be connected. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I love that. Jesus says, I want you to abide in me. This is the way you abide in me. Keep my commandments. Again, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not the cause of our salvation. It's the result of our salvation. And as we're keeping his commandments, we're abiding in him. There's that intimacy. We can ask whatever we wish because we're in sync with our father. And why did God tell us this? Because he's just, you know, wants to set up some rules, thinks that we need to have some rules in our lives, get some order in our lives. No, it says there in verse 11, I wrote you these things that my joy would be in you and your joy would be complete. The commandments he gives us are for our fullness, for our joy. When we walk in obedience to God, it's not to just, ah, just tough it out for Jesus. No, God is saying, I'm not asking you to tough it out for me. I want to actually give you the very thing that is going to bring fullness to your life. When you walk in my commandments, you're going to know that fullness. You're going to know that joy, and we're going to be connected. And, and it's actually, this, the intimacy is really deep, and, and Paul talks about this all over his epistles, about what it means to be in Christ, where your lives are so um, consumed by the Lord Jesus Christ that everything about you becomes him. And so it goes on in verse at the end of the verse 24, letter B, the intimacy of the Spirit's presence. The intimacy of the Spirit's presence. And by this we know that He abides in us. Going back to Robert Sutton's, know that we know by the Spirit whom He has given us. And in John chapter 15 and 16, there in the upper room, He told John and the other disciples, Jesus told John and the other disciples, I'm going to send you my Spirit. And my spirit's going to dwell in you and it's going to testify about me. Think about that. How, how is it that Christ is in us? How can John say, or excuse me, how can Paul say in Galatians chapter 2, how can he possibly say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I now live in the body, I live in the one who gave himself, who's loved me, and gave himself for me. What, how, how can he say that? We well, can say that because the Holy Spirit, God the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in Paul. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And here's what's so important, brothers. That's the exact same Spirit that dwelt in the Lord Jesus when he walked on the face of the earth. There are not two Holy Spirits. There's not three Holy Spirits. There's not a Holy Spirit for Paul and a Spirit for you and a Spirit for Jesus. There is one Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that descended upon the Lord Jesus Christ at his baptism, that Holy Spirit that dwells in him and sustained him through the temptation in the desert, sustained him in the Garden of Gethsemane, sustained him on the cross, that exact same Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you have believed in the name of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you love one another as a result of your faith, then you know that Spirit is in you. And you say, wait a second, that, isn't that circular argument? No, no. The only way you and I could ever 
walk in obedience. And you know this. I know this. Any good work you've ever done, you've known it had to come from somewhere else. <laughs> it had to come from the Spirit in you. You think about some of the people that in the last few weeks you've thought about, you know, I need to learn how to love that guy. I need to learn how to love that coworker. Just the fact that you had that thought did not come from you. It came from the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. We know that, right? Left up to ourselves, just like the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. <laughs> prone to leave, I God, I love. We're like a car that's out of alignment, right? Holy Spirit lets go of the wheel and we're like this. The only way you and I stay on that road is because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So if you see evidences of your life walking in obedience, it's got to be the Holy Spirit in you. And that's what John is saying. The Spirit is testifying that you belong to God. So you know what? I can't know for sure that Sandy Wilson is a Christian, but he can. Because he can know the Spirit in him. I can't know for sure if you're a Christian, but you can. Because you can look at the truth. You can set your heart right in the presence of God, understanding that he is greater than your heart. And you know, you know the works of the Holy Spirit when you see them. Because you know your own works when you see them. And you can tell the difference. And even in great moments of doubt, and let me just say this, if you do wrestle at night with, man, I don't know if I'm a believer, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you would never have that question at night. You would never have that question. People that, that, that are not followers of Christ do not spend sleepless nights over whether or not they're a Christian, whether or not they're going to heaven. They don't. They might wonder whether there's a God, but they don't have stress about that. No, it's, it's believers, because you wouldn't even ask that question <laughs> if it weren't for the Holy Spirit inside you. We pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together, to sit under your word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the truth of the word. Lord, keep us sitting under the word. Keep us from taking our, or keep us in taking our hearts from, uh, from being these condemning, wishy-washy, all over the place feelings and help us to set them in your presence, understanding that you are greater than our hearts. And Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that testifies in our own souls that we are sons of God. And Lord, help us to walk in obedience. Help us to enter into your presence with confidence, not because of our obedience, Father. But may we enter into present, your presence with confidence, confident that you are the judge and the justifier and that Christ's righteousness has been placed on us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.